Hey guys, just Luke here. Uh, before we get into this episode, um, I just want to let you know that we did have some technical difficulties um, recording this over Zoom. Uh, unfortunately, the the cloud server that we record to, which captures all the audio and the video, um, for the first time ever actually dropped out in the middle of this episode and we probably lost maybe a minute or, or so of, um, of audio. But overall, an amazing episode with Glenn. I'm super grateful for him coming on and uh, enjoy. Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog podcast. I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Panos and on the lines tonight, all the way from Dural, we have our good friend and mentor, Mr. Glenn. How are you, mate? Hello, lads. How are you? Good friend and mentor. That's quite a coverage. Thank you very much. Yeah, I well, agree. I look up to you and I know Panos does. So Definitely. Hey, you were our first guest and you made a second appearance and it's a it's a great honor to have you on um, on our show, for sure. And we're both avid listeners of, of your podcast and obviously everything everything from our foundations of learning of dog training has come from your ways. And we do always appreciate you, my brother. Yeah, thanks, boys. That's, that's a, a very kind accolade to get. And likewise, I listen to your podcast. I think you're doing very good things. And um, even though we're... Uh, we're sort of competitors on the podcast market. It's um, it's what the Thai say. One of my favourite sayings of all time. Same, same, but different. Uh, yeah. We're kind of covering um, similar but different genres in what we're doing. So Pat and I really sort of hammer the working dog market where you guys are hammering the pet dog market, um, and it's it's good because uh, we get uh, a crossover of people from our podcast to yours and yours to ours. So it's complimentary of what we're doing. And it's great to see that people have a good selection of podcasts now to listen to in the dog space. Because I think when I first started it uh, with Pat, there wasn't much around at that point in time. There were a few ones here and there, but there was certainly nothing really coming out of Australia. And now there are several coming out of Australia that are a good quality and uh, there's uh, there's people that are really thinking about the material they're putting out, and uh, they're also good dog trainers as well, which is uh, another compliment on top of being able to podcast is also being able to produce good work as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of our listeners listen to both. And as much as technically we could call it competition, I think in the in the podcast space, if we're if people are listening to multiple different streams of similar perspectives. And I think that's really important. And I guess also there's been so many times where we will be, we have just recorded something the day after you guys release something. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like almost the same topic. How the hell did that even happen? <laughs> people, people are probably listening going, you stole those ideas from them. I'm like, no, I think we're just on the same wavelength. And I think that's my point is that where um, people are trying to, and look, you can learn so much from podcasts, but I think it's really important to hear the same thing, as you said, same, same, but different, hear the same thing from a different perspective. I think it really educates people on a different level. And I think that's, there's, there's no important. such thing as an original idea these days anyway. 
right? Well, that that's very true, Luke, because there are times where I hear material that's literally travelled the world, and I guess that's the reason it should be doing. Well, that's what it should be doing. It should be travelling mm. the world. If information is good and it's sound and it works, why wouldn't you disseminate that information readily and broadly through the communities? Um, after all, it's the responsibility of educators to give back information to the public, not withhold it and squander it into themselves. Otherwise, it's lost uh, and it goes to the grave with you, whereas uh, good writers, good educators, good teachers, good mentors, uh, they really have the responsibility to give it to the public and say, whether that's charging for, for um, you know, charging a small amount for your time or readily giving it, whatever it may be, it still is a responsibility to give it up, to surrender it to um, the scrutiny of your peers and also uh, for fellow students to be able to learn from and, uh, and pass along the same way that they did. I mean, you know, the information that I've got and I've collected come from other people. Sometimes you have original ideas. Sometimes you have... I guess, manifestations that extend beyond what you've been taught because you've, you've kind of got into a mindset of thinking critically then and um, putting together um, variations of what you've learned, combining it with others um, to graft it onto something uh, even more fantastic or more beneficial. So that's why it, it should be out there to, for people to scrutinize and to think to themselves, well, how can we make this better? You know, we've got something that's absolutely fantastic now. It works. We've seen the byproducts of that. We've seen the results in training dogs and actual uh, and people understanding what's supposed to do, what you're supposed to do, I should say. Therefore, um, making it even better or version two or version three of it is absolutely fantastic. And I love that when uh, I see people doing something, I think, oh, they put a little tweak to that and it's actually having mm. bearing fruit. You can see that it works. The dogs understand it. The owners understand it. The new trainers understand it. The community understands it. It's super beneficial. I think it's also important, you know, we've discussed in a couple of different episodes in terms of, you know, I think a lot of the listeners on our podcast don't understand what's happening behind the scenes in our industry. It's been going on forever. And I think things are probably becoming a little bit more heavier as, you know, we're going on through time. It's important that we discuss certain topics and certain ideas and, because as much as a dog trainer is a dog trainer, this F gets fragmented so much. And I think these times more than ever, we have to stick together in a way that we can collaborate or even just at least support each other. Otherwise, everything's just going to get shattered to pieces in, in so many different ways. And um, I think Glenn hit it on the head. He, he used the word community, right? Like it is a community. Yeah. There's no need for it to be so fractured and you know what I mean? Like, we're not at odds with each other. Like I think we can learn a lot more from each other than we might like to admit sometimes, you know, yep. in different little factions within the dog community. I think we're probably more, in a lot of ways, we're more similar than we might like to think. Well, well that's, I, I, I have to agree to disagree on that point alone. And it's not a challenge point. It's just something that has been disappointing me more and more since I've, it's coming to light. And I feel that um, there are factions that are working against each other, even though they claim to say, oh, you know, we're one and we're, we're trying to work together and we're trying to drop um, the stigma of being called a balance trainer and a force-free trainer or a plus R trainer and so forth and so forth. But, you know, like when you look at um, 
what just happened recently in Queensland where the prong collar was banned, completely mm. political by the Labor government, which was disgraceful of them. Uh, I that there where I can see that there are factions working against us. That's where I can see that um, some of these groups who have got nothing to lose because they're only training um, very placid style of dogs and they're also training dogs that um, they're – they they don't need some of these tools because uh, they reject these do- these dogs and these dogs are constantly you know I use the word scrutinised before these dogs are heavily scrutinised, medicated, euthanised, um, and then we we're going to ha- start finding ourselves getting into that ridiculous conversation of uh, whether these dogs should still be in the public or not. Which I'm I'm alarmed that that conversation will possibly be happening in my lifetime that there will be, it happened in Holland, uh, and that's the precursor to some of these forewarnings, is that, yes, there are factions working against us and they're in our own communities. Um, They're within our own uh, dog training establishment. And there's probably people who listen to your show who don't like prong collars or the mention of it or um, feel very adverse about hearing about them, but they also have no experience of them. And the experience that they've been um, that's been brought to their attention is that of hysteria on the internet from people who just claim that they're cruel, that they're horrible. Um, to add to that, I saw uh, a colleague of mine um, writing something in the Northern Beaches uh, dog community about prong collars, and he absolutely got attacked by multitudes of people saying, oh, how disgusting you are. I thought you were a good person. I'm, I'm so sickened to, to read this. And I thought to myself, what is it that you actually know about these collars that I don't that is causing such mass hysteria and mass alarm? What that's is true. it that's been brought to your attention? What is it in within the communities that you're so afraid of that is so horrible? Because I haven't seen it, you know, and on several podcasts I've done, several episodes we've done on the canine paradigm or other, other interviews that I've done with people, when we break this down and when we start to talk about these stigmas that are surrounding certain types of training tools, I would really like to know, like, what is the solid evidence that people have? Because I'm not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it. That My colleagues aren't seeing it. I'm sure you guys don't see it. Are you guys no. seeing horrendous harm and damage done to dogs by broncholas? Have you ever seen it done before? It's interesting that you put it that way. I haven't seen, heard, or even witnessed myself anything horrible happening, except for the fact that people either jump on the bandwagon of not liking it or just using their eyes and and being led by their emotions. But that's the thing, right, is that if if I could see it on mass scale, if I could see true evidence of it, um, and I know that there's been evidence of it where people have sharpened prong collars and put it on their dogs and stabbed them or they've left them you know, um, for long periods of time where they've started to get skin necrosis from rubbing like a like a hard pair of shoes that rubs your heel and so forth. Those sort of injuries do exist. I, I understand Definitely. that they do exist. Yep. But once again, I don't see them. I saw, I've seen them on the internet. I've seen pictures that people have posted and they've done multitudes of those posts and shared them around because that's a savagery and a newsworthy story that people can collate their collective toxins and venoms and say, well, there you go, there it is. But for me not to be able to physically see them, and I've used and sold hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them because we were exposed to them way back in the 1990s. And I think it was about 1992 or three when a guy called Pat O'Connor came over from the States and he brought a box of them over 
he was working for a company called Ray Allen who sells dog training gear. And even then when I saw it, I was horrified when I saw the look of it and I was absolutely adamant I was not going to put it on my dog. And that was 1993. And nobody in the country knew what a prong collar was. I think we were the first to start using them in Australian dog training. Um, no, nobody even knew knew any information about it. And and long story short, I've talked about this a couple of times. Well, I, I spoke to this guy, Pat O'Connor, and he said to me, Glenn, you need to get educated on real matters around the world. And he said, I'm not producing this to hurt your dog. I'm actually producing it because I'm seeing you give the dog corrections on a inadequate device that's causing you distress and certainly causing the dog distress. Yep. So this device it activates on pressure. It will create pressure on the dog's neck and he he can volunteer to stay within that pressure or he can back it off himself. And that's, he was one of the first people who really introduced me to the concept of what negative reinforcement was all about. And it didn't, it didn't really wash with me. I wasn't convinced that that was the right thing to do. However, he was down for some time and he wore me down eventually and I decided to give it a try. And I've got to be honest, lads, it was like immediate relief for yeah. my dog, immediate relief. And I'm not telling you guys how to suck eggs. You've seen this yourself. You've used these tools. This is why I get so emotionally um, carried away when I have these conversations and I see things that are, are done without true consultation from industry professionals. Like It's like the information is asked for, it's provided and literally binned like yeah. nobody seems to care about it because it already seems like it's bought and sold within some of these government agencies and so forth. I would like to know um, what deals have been made to do this yeah. because it seems like it's more of a of a political favour than it is about the welfare of dogs because some dogs are really going to get fucked up big time for not being able to use these collars. I mean, the very, very people who advocate welfare – and care about dogs are going to kill dogs because of this. Yep. And, the, you know, there'll be people listening to me getting, probably get it kicking their table and getting all fired up and angry about this concept because I'll be thinking, this is far-fetched. You're talking nonsense. Well, I'm not. I advocate for dog welfare as well. I've saved more dogs than a lot of people would care to mention. I've been around and trained more dogs than most people have had hot dinners. I can speak on this with authority because I've got people that come back to me and say to me the very words, Glenn, Thank you. I've been everywhere. Nobody's been able to help me. You guys have both heard this collectively, individually. Most of the people who are dog trainers that I know of have heard and echoed the same within the same confines of that language to them as well. They're saying yeah. same thing over and over. Like we're um, we're fixing problems. We're not creating problems. Like our dogs seem happier now. They're more connected. We can walk them. We don't have to avoid going out in public with our dogs. We can go out and we can do these activities in daylight without having to walk the dog at three o'clock in the morning. We can actually be part of the community. And now my dog is happy to wear it. My, my dog even comes running when hears the sound. It's conditioned. To, it's got a classical conditioning um, and likes the sound of the prong collar and runs to have it fitted to it. Yep. So all of these observations that you have, how scientists make change in the world as well by observing change, all of these observations allow us as dog trainers to see that this device, this tool has made incredible impact on these dogs' lives. And I'm telling you right now, if I didn't see that for myself, if I didn't know that for myself, there is no goddamn way I would put one of these collars on a dog. In fact, I would 
I would go around and collect all of them myself and just say, don't put them on dogs anymore. It's, it, it's, it's really screwing them up mentally and physically. Now, it's not to say that individuals don't do this. And this is why things throughout history, fireworks, you name it, have been taken off shelves because some people are just stupid. They're just yeah. stupid no matter what they do. They do things that harm themselves. They do things intentionally to harm other people. And rather than educate or rather than government, you know, individually punishing these people, what they do is they say, oh, we're just taking it off everyone. You can't have it anymore. What they would have been better off doing collectively is saying things like training tools you need to do courses with, with industry professionals who have training, who have the qualification. And if you want to use it, there's some hoops to jump through. And it's an educational process which requires you to get certified at the end of it. Then you can use it. That I would have respected any government for. I have no respect for that government. I have absolute contempt for them because I think they're just flat out stooges. Stooges to whatever, whoever, they've just been bought and sold by someone. I don't know. I'm, I'm just angry about it because it just disappoints me how these things just vanish um, and people... Trust me, people did put up a good fight for it. But once again, it's, you know, it's been a long time coming. I think a lot of times we get a little bit apathetic about these things. We never think it's going to affect us until it actually does. And it did because Queensland passed a law. Shame on you, Queensland government. You are absolutely disappointing. You know, within your within your network, Glenn, like what are you starting to see in terms of the impacts of this now amongst the trainers up there? Have you have you started to hear stories about like what's what the flow-on effects of this are now that they can't use prongs or that they have to use them underground sort of thing? Well, it's only just happened, Luke, so it's very hard to determine what's going to happen. Mm. Um, it'll be an interesting future with, with what does happen with it. Um, you know, look, there are, there, are other, there are a lot of ways to train dogs, but I actually think, um, feel and believe that prong the the prong collar for certain type of dogs was the most humane way to work with that dog, yeah. Um, because now I think those dogs are going to be having a miserable lifestyle, and people will go, "Oh, tut tut, that's not true." But you can't be everywhere all the time. You can't see what's going to happen to those dogs when people feel that they can't get control over them. Um, and I'd I'd like to monitor. I'd like somebody up there to start monitoring the euthanasia rates because I really think that this is going to have a catalyst um, of an impact on these dogs. And I guess the, the worrying concern is, of course, it will spread throughout Australia and the world and then it becomes commonplace. And then what's what's the next on the agenda? Are you taking away all training tools? Are you taking away any collar that sits on a dog's neck? Is it that we're starting to ban certain breeds on a, on a larger scale? And those are the things that concern me even more that is there a bigger agenda to this coming you know i i just i don't understand what the agenda is but there 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 clearly is one the the thing that worries me and i've been accused of having a extremist view on this but i don't think i'm alone and really when you sort of follow the the breadcrumb trail to the end it just seems like it's it's heading towards the eradication of pets all over. That's going to be the, that, that is the agenda of uh, organisations, some of the extreme animal uh, welfare organisations. That is their agenda. They've never tried to hide it. They've never, well, they are trying to hide it a little bit now. I should, 
I should say they're trying to soften that approach because um, that sort of exposure has been working negatively against them when people realise, you know, that this is going to mean the mass extinction of pets for people. Um, And I've I've had this conversation with people before and they say, what an extreme view, geez, you're a fool, thinking things like that. But they haven't, if you look at the migration away from the ownership of animals or farming or whatever it has, it is significantly changed in that landscape. And again, once again, I advocate for good treatment of animals, the consideration of welfare. We run boarding kennels. We run facilities where that's very important as a part of our business. You know, like we advocate for staff members who take care of dogs and cats and they look after them and they do these sort of things properly. So I'm not talking to people as just some crazed person who's not getting my way. I'm talking about a person who cares deeply about dogs Mm. and has dedicated my dog far largely than most people have. Now, I know there's people in welfare that do an amazing job and they suffer greatly. They have to look after a lot of thrown away pets and broken pets. There's a place up on the central coast called Minnie's um, Bulldog Rescue. And those people um, get a lot of brachycephalic dogs, the pugs, the um, Frenchies, the English bulldogs and so forth. And these people throw so many, many, many thousands of dollars into fixing other people's discarded pets. And I know that these people all sort of, you know, they suffer. So I'm not going to say that, um, you know, like I've, I've, poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into it, which some of these rescues have. They've lit, you know, they're literally tipping their life savings into trying to keep afloat a, a boat that's just filling with water all the time because people yeah. keep throwing these dogs at them. But I do spend an incredible amount of time uh, looking after and advocating for the welfare of, of pets and other people's animals as well. My backyard is constantly full, anywhere between 80 and 250 animals depending on the time of year and the other facilities that we're also managing and operating, which is con- considerably growing at this point in time. So there's a lot of pets around. Getting back to the point, the point is that I do think that there is a nefarious game here. I'll call it a game because it's, it's, it just seems too ridiculous to be, to be true, but I really do believe that there is some um, sinister and nefarious agenda to remove pet dogs and cats or pets of, of any shape and caliber. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think that's the end game. There seems to be that it, it's heading in that direction. And, and also as, as a society that certainly, you know, a hundred years ago we needed dogs. I still think that there's portions of our, of our society that need dogs for an actual application, but it's argued that, most of the dogs that live in Australia aren't aren't necessary. They haven't got a utility and a function as an asset for for a for for a larger project, farming and hunting and all of that. And I think as that's gone away, we've become more softer in our approach of having dogs necessary in our world. And I think with that, people that don't understand or they think that they are more compassionate, they think well. Why? First of all, the most extreme view: Why even have animals? Having animals is, you know, not, um, you know, um, what's the word? Not appropriate, etc. But also, just we can have three people that completely love dogs, 
One of them are more old school, use pressure only. Others are, are balanced like ourselves. And then we have others that are positive only. And we all have the dogs at heart, except all three of us can be completely different in the way that we approach training. But it seems that the emotional um, side of it is becoming more of catching more eyes, catching more. So of course we can train dogs without using any pressure. Why wouldn't you? And if you only read a couple of articles and watch one person's video and you've made up your mind without ever having get get your hands on a dog, especially a dog that's difficult to handle. And the ultimate um, decision for that dog is either death for itself or injury or death to others. It, it becomes a very, very slippery slope of how we manage this because they say, well, if you have to handle the dog in that way, then why should he exist? And, you have all these, but people that say that generally don't have the experience that we do, that we know like how, and, and going back to my original point is that, yes, we don't have dogs for for that sort of function anymore, but dogs serve so many ways, um, so many things for people, you know, on, on a companion level and and as, as, you know, part of the family and, of course, life with your dog is, you know, if you're listening to this episode, you know, or you listen to this podcast, you know how much dogs mean to people. It's just... There's so many different angles to approach this that it becomes so cluttery and so, especially when it comes to a political agenda, how do you even, like, where do we even begin to even try to make a change in all of this? Because It seems like it's a very big beast that's hard to get to the bottom of. Yeah. It, it's very disappointing um, that I think you were almost at the stage of bringing up that that comment that's been flouted around quite a few times on social media. And it seems to be within certain groups of people where they have this mindset of death before discomfort. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't think of a more ridiculous and just it's pathological. Oh, mate, it's, it yeah. is. It's, I mean, I use the word nefarious. It's psychotic when you yeah. pathological is a good word. Psychotic, pathological. I can't, understand for the life of me how anybody could see that as being a welfare-minded statement. If you said to me death before abuse, um, then I might say, mm, okay, fair enough. You know, like who who would want to be abused over and over again? Um, mm-hmm. However, this is this is kind of where, and it gets it gets very silly when you start reading some of the comments that people make and listen to conversations that people are having over social media, which has just become an a, like an a lens or optics for people to be able to interfere with other people's lives consistently and yeah. follow them around and bully them, harass them all the time, which is just in itself is just psychotic and nefarious. However, death before discomfort. I mean, come on. Seriously, life is about discomfort sometimes. It's about there's a song that um, the Divinal sang very many years ago called "It's a Fine Line Between Pleasure and Pain," and that's just life for all of us, including animals. The way they raise each other, the way they interact with other animals, they the way they interact with the the environment, and you know, like some logical discussions have happened around that, and I've seen some very good progress made where people have talked about that. And then other people say, well, come on, you're human beings. You're supposed to be highly cognitive. This is what you tout. And why aren't you able to um, utilize that uh, extension of cognition to be able to improve the standards and the welfare of animals' lives? Well, I'm sure we do. And part of that is teaching them, stop making the same mistakes, uh, go away from those behaviors, 
Stop repeating them. Go towards these behaviors and everything will be fine. Oh, that was weird. And it's, recording, it's recording to the cloud, so I don't know why we would do that. Hmm. We're back on. I'll be the Zoom server. Hey, okay, we're good. Probably your shitty server. <laughs> <laughs> I don't pay Zoom enough hundreds of dollars every year to have a good one. That's all right. We're still on. Yeah, it's recording. Just pick up from where you were, Glenn. Think, yeah, I think I, I was saying that uh, on the NDTF course, uh, I mentioned this regularly and you've, you've probably heard it before, whereas if you put a horse in a paddock, a horse will um, give itself a pop on the electric fence twice. One is the experience and two is confirmation. <laughs> and then it doesn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do it. It doesn't go back over. It's only by complete accident that if it's trying to get to the grass on the other side, the, the fence will, might make contact with the horse and pop it, and then the horse will be reminded once again, don't touch the fence. So they learn through that pressure that they can go anywhere they want to within that field, just don't touch the fence. Now, the farmer or the owner or whoever it is that owns that land doesn't put a fence up there just because they like watching their horse get snapped by a fence. They're doing it so their horse doesn't run into the fence or come and rub themselves up against the, the, the fence and lacerate themselves on the star pickets or the wire along the top. Like it's it's very welfare-minded to prevent the horses from causing themselves further harm down the track. This exactly. is exactly what we want to do with dogs in training, to keep them in houses, to keep them from running amok in, in the community, to keep them from causing anything that will get them euthanized or, or the owner in jail or fined or whatever it may be. Um, I just did an interview with a council ranger on another podcast that I run. And, you know, you can get yourself in quite some trouble by having a dog at large. And we're not talking working dogs here. We're not just, we're not talking males or shepherds or roddies. We're, we're talking about just average family dogs. And these are, are dogs that are, you know, cattle dogs and Kelpies and, um, and all sorts. There, there is a range of breeds. Like there, it isn't restricted to just one type of breed. It does tend to, to, um, blow out in some of the breeds. I will confess to that, but it still extends to all of the breeds of dogs. Any yeah. of the ANKC registered and all of the crossbreeds in between can be and are afflicted to these type of fines and restrictions sometimes. So it can be a big problem for them. That's well said, you know, um, and it's and and you've thought about it very well <laughs> for you to be able to put it in the way that you just put it. And it's just it seems common common sense to me. I know the the effect on not just the talk. I was just um did a, a talk at it, dogs in the park, like a it's a local sort of um you know group for people to come. It's like a fair, and we're talking about collars and people are like, oh yeah, I'd like to buy a collar. And I'm like, well, I could sell you a collar, but like eighty percent of it is technique and how to use it and your timing and and you know I could sell you treats, but you know the 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 application, the timing, the and and the use of when to give a treat is more important than what treat and what collar to use. And I just think it's it, it's all about the education of it. And I guess the best thing that we can do in regards to these sort of topics, and it can be tough, you know, we're putting ourselves on the line to be misunderstood in a way, but we're trying to give as much of our self experience uh, along with the theory of what it is that requires to utilize tools and for our dogs to have the best lives they can have. And we want our dogs to be the best so that, you know, they can, they can give back to us and that we can ultimately be the best 
greatest versions of ourselves as well. So, you know, it's just it, when we know intimately on that level what it what it is to be responsible and to guide our dogs in the best way and that for people to have a complete opposite mindset of the exact same thing that we want to achieve. It's just, it's super frustrating. Mm -hmm. And the best thing we can do is talk about it. And hopefully these messages go out there and that if we can educate the people who listen to it here, they can do a bit more research and maybe they've got a different experience that we can add to their, to, to their perspective of all of this. We're just hoping that we can make some change. We can, you know, shine some light on the topic, but also, you know, at least if we're going to go down, we're going to go down fighting, you know. So I guess it just is what it is. But it's um, what that person wants when they when they say they want a collar is not the collar though; it's the outcome, right? Yeah. What mm, they sure. what they're saying there is, I want to pay for the outcome of a dog that heals, that walks nicely, that doesn't do this or that. But you know what I mean? It's not the collar; it's the like they don't want the steak; they want the sizzle, right? Or the you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's the it's the end the end result. For sure, it's it's um that's well said. But um, the original and the actual topic that I want to speak to Glenn about, and I think we should, it's probably a good time that we can talk about that now, is about working dogs and about sport dogs and what does that mean. And we have many times tried to discuss these sort of topics on our podcast. I don't think we do a bad job at it, but why not speak to somebody who is well-versed with all of this and has had loads and loads of experience with both sport and working dogs. And I guess I wanted to get Glenn to give a different definition or even a little bit of giving some understanding to our listeners about what is a working dog and also what is sport dog training and what does that entail and what does it look like in from your perspective and from your experience as well. Yeah, sure, mate. Happy to talk on that topic. Um, before I do that, uh, just as you are wrapping up before, you were talking about our responsibilities and so forth. And I'm certainly an advocate for this myself because I don't think, um, well, let me rephrase. We're never too old to be students of our own behavior. And that's something that I like people to consider themselves where they are and what they're doing all the time. And that certainly is in with the use and the conjunction of tools. I know we're going to switch topics, but I just want to wrap up by saying- Of course, please. So this is this is why I think that, that we're never too old to be students of our own behavior because we have to think about um, the evolution of change in and the considerations of different sciences that are presenting themselves, which is, again, which I think is why I'm so frustrated uh, with what we were talking about previously because I really feel that not enough good evidence or not enough productive science has come across to change my mind. Yeah. And the day that it does, I will change my mind. The day that I can see something salient and prominent that's sitting in front of me that that I can see is causing mass distress to animals across the world, not from the 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 use, the single use of the people who are the problems with them, who are always the problems and who will continue to be the problem for it, for, yeah. for their dog, for com the community, for anything that they're involved in. They, you usually find that these zero-sum figures are problems no matter where they go. They're victims, yeah. they're toxic, they're problems. Mm -hmm. They're always that, that type of person. Everywhere they go, they create problems. There's no end to their mischief. But anyway, look, enough said on that. I ranted and raved about it. I didn't want to, to turn your podcast into an uh, 
a extreme standpoint or a soapbox. I just want, I felt it was important to talk about. There's, there's pet dog people who probably listen to this who probably won't appreciate the conversation. No, nah, look, However, from what I've, from a couple of episodes, we've discussed these things. We've been getting some DMs and, and comments saying how such an important topic. Thanks for bringing this to light. I had no idea what was happening. And to get, and I think as much as we try not to be political in any way, shape or form, it's something that can't be avoided. We can't just pretend. And for us to just do nothing about it, not to talk about it and not to even show our own frustration and emotion about it won't, wouldn't be responsible for us. So we've got microphones and headphones on where we're giving a voice. People are listening. I think it's so important that even for somebody who's had 30 plus years of experience in the industry to have the same perspective of what we have had. And of course, some other guests that we've had on, I think, I think it's so valuable. And I think, I don't think we can, as much as some people that are, that are listening are like, Oh my God, we've heard this before, whatever. Tell us something exciting. It's like, no, but this is important because in 10 years time, I may be doing a different job. Um, and, um, and you may not be able to have your dog that's over 25 kilos because they may just make it illegal. So that's pretty horrifying. Yeah. Well, see, that's a lovely thing to hear that because I really appreciate when people are open-minded. There is another good saying out there that says a mind is, should be like a parachute. It works best when it's open. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate that when people are confronted and do feel uncomfortable by certain topics, rather than just condemn it based on what um, some popular spokesperson screamed and yelled and soapboxed about in some other social media construct, they actually think to themselves, okay, well, there is two sides to this. And maybe, maybe what I need to do is go on a pilgrimage and actually look for myself rather than just hear it. And it sounds kind of dangerous and and kind of uh, awful to use on dogs. Maybe I really need to go and see it with my own eyes and go and work with an experienced trainer and have a look at for myself. Mm-hmm. Because over the years, the same thing as I did when I first saw that item and I changed my mind over the years, I've seen thousands of minds open up and change because they practically and pragmatically experienced it themselves. They came down they saw it and they said, oh, my God, it's not even what I thought it would be. Yep. Mm-hmm. And these are people who have been horrendous advocates in the opposite direction yep. and had hideous things to say and have scathing reports about um, the use of tools and so forth and have completely 180 and changed their mind. And they've copped the slings and arrows from their previous supporters, but they said to themselves, I was speaking on something that I never personally bothered to witness myself, but yeah. now I have, and I have to say that I have to have a change of mind because I can't talk about something with the same condemnation now that I've witnessed it. I've bought, bared witness to it myself and seen it in action. It is not what I thought it was. Yeah. And that is an incredible person. That is a person that is capable of, passionate growth in whatever area that they go in because they've stopped hiding in their sandbox, burying their head in the sand and doing this myopic mantra, this this um, toxifying chant that is dispelling something that they have no knowledge, no science, no information of other than other people's con- condemnation and dislike for it themselves. Anyway, enough said. So let's, true. Let's get back onto the, the working dog topic. Otherwise, I'll explode. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, we totally appreciate your perspective, and and Thank and you. you say it so much more eloquently than than I can. So it's much appreciated. That's for sure. I'm, I'm trying to without swearing and without <laughs> getting annoyed by it because I just, I just, I, I really feel for the dogs who are stronger than those average dogs out there and who just won't play the same games that people want their dogs to play. The other thing, the, well, while we are talking about this, one of the other things that I do need to say quickly is there are a, there, there is a certain type of person out there who tries to convince other people that their way is the only way to do it. And there's a lot of people out there who are very skilled trainers. They, they still are skilled, but they try and convince people that, uh, their modality of training is this harmonious and welfare-minded training. But what they don't tell people is the, the incredible amount of hours that they've personally put into training that dog, the frustrations that they went through, and, and knowing that that other person will not replicate that, that level of training, they still persist to chant and um, and even frustratingly, I think even um, bully, not bully, but there's probably a better word that it's not really bullying, but they harass them into thinking that they're, they're failing because they're not doing it this method. But what they don't realize is this person's training their dog seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Now that's, that's nice. And that's good. I, and I encourage people to, if you want a dog, you really should do more than what you're doing. There's a lot of people who, who aren't just aren't doing enough. But they also have other things that they need to do as well. It doesn't mean that you should be wrapped up entirely around your dog's life. They just aren't. Some people just aren't like that. You know, they just can't be as involved, and they don't want to be that involved. They don't want to be that uh, insanely wrapped up in their dog's life. That as soon as they rush home from from work, all they're doing is just contemplating life around their dog and nothing but. They actually have segments of things that they like to do. Time for the dog, time for the family, time for their personal activity, time for, for sitting on the couch and watching Netflix, you know, and, and, and it, it's the same for parents who have children. Some people, you know, they have children, they, tell, they, have, they spend a lot of time as parents with their kids, but they also have times where they need to have separate time as well, time to see yep. their friends, time to pursue and do some of the hobbies and activities that they still like doing. And then they come back and do things with their kids. It doesn't mean that they are bad parents. It doesn't mean that they don't care about their kids' welfare or, or education or, um, uh, you know, being a good parent. They do all those things. And they need to do these things. They need to have this separation to be a good parent. Yes, be exactly. A good parent. You know, like these are healthy things that normal people should be doing. This incessant keeping up with the Joneses you know, like living this bullshit um, social media life where people are watching other people doing things on social media and feeling constantly inadequate yet just yeah. can't maintain or don't have a sugar daddy or parents that are paying their way through the whole process that they can they can live off, um, you know, live in their family bedroom um, while mum and dad are paying for them to do it or they're living off welfare or, or, or whatever they're living off. Well, other people have to go to work. You know, yeah. this, it's a crazy way of thinking. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm putting out there. That I, I can see through some of this bullshit that people are putting out there because it's fictitious. It's yeah. not true. It's a fabric of reality, um, and it's and it's a veil. It's a veil thin one at that. So, 
those people are frauds. They really are frauds. They speak fraudulent and they act fraudulent. Uh, and therefore, they produce fraudulent outcomes with people. And then people feel like it must be me. I must be a failure because yeah. they seem to be able to do it with their dog and I can't. So robbing people of tools and robbing people of the ability to go to other specialists that can help them, you really need to have a good sit down, a look in the mirror and say, ask yourself this question. What am I really in this for? Is it is it social acceptance? Is it finances? What is it really? Because I don't think it echoes the traits of true welfare and care yeah. about educating animals and their owners. Enough said. That's true. Well, look, to, to, to make the... And, and that, that's beautifully said because there's so many people that live in, you know, with their heads so far up their ass, have no idea which way they're going, coming or going, right? But um, it reminds me of something, and I'll, and I'll bring a full circle, is that we were um, out of Brisbane visiting my sister and it happened to be the grand final on and everyone wanted to watch it. And my family never followed any sport, so I naturally never really followed it. But what happened, me and my mum happened to be sitting there and, and the footy um, was on. And there were situations unfolding, you know, of course, guys tackling guys and, you know, punch-ons almost happening and all that. And my mum's like, oh, disgusting. Look at these people. Look at these people doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and she's like, oh, like, how can people that? And she's like going on her own rant. And I'm like, well, I can appreciate it, even though I don't follow it, I can appreciate what it is because I said to her, you say and condemn all that behavior. However, you know, nobody loves a warrior until the enemies are at the gates. I go, you need people like this in our society. We needed them in our society because without them, then we would accept all the enemies to come into our turf and take over. I go, you don't like them now, but you would love them if the enemy were coming down the street and you have somebody to protect you. Now, I'm not saying that they're fighting and I'm, and I'm allowing them to do their fight. I'm saying the game of football, the game of UFC, the game of, of exist because we have a evolutionary need and and um, expression of it and if we don't give a game of sport or the game of martial arts a place in our society then these brutes so to speak are out in the in the wild in society doing it in in inappropriate ways so I go, you need to fulfill that. At least it's in a safe place. There's rules. There's, you know, everyone's holding accountable. And that's why we can still do it within a limit that nobody's killing each other, but they're still playing the game, which is what they decide to play. And it would be very much the same in terms of, well, like a working dog and a sport dog. We're fulfilling. It's like, you know, you you go to a UFC, a, a, a jiu-jitsu gym, for example. Like, look at these people choking each other. Well, they're mad, maniacs. Like, you think these people are going to run down the street and put everyone in a rear naked choke just because they think it's exciting. Actually, in fact, probably the opposite. The more you facilitate a place to fulfill those instinctive traits, then a, a more of a gentler person you are in everyday life. And I think the same people that don't understand a working dog or a sport dog. They see them biting the sleeve, they're biting the bite suit. Oh my God, what are you making these dogs do? The same people probably don't like the tools and that's probably a generalization or people don't understand it enough to understand, well, what was it? What was its origins? What's its actual use and how do we still benefit from it from to this day? And, and, um, and I think that it's not very dissimilar topics. I think they're very much exactly the same. Thinking on that, and I guess with um, with respect to what your mum saw, what your mum saw, which probably outraged or sickened her or even made her a little afraid when she was watching that, was the lack of control. 
And mm-hmm. I agree with you, Panos. I think that there is a place for Vikings in society. Um, but what people now expect because of education and progress that we've made is um, showing a level of restraint and control. And I do absolutely agree with you. I think that Vikings, people who are Viking-like, need a place to go and expel that energy. They need to go and, you know, rumble with other people their own size and safely do it and do it in a controlled measure. Or even if it's a little unsafe, that they do it with consent with their with their sparring partner or their boxing partner. And I think that's, you know, why things like MMA exist because there are people who need to go and, and spar and fight with other people. They want to, they're exhilarated by it, you know, and um, I think sometimes that exhilaration enhances the absorption of knowledge sometimes. Like sometimes when people are doing these things, they, they're not only warriors, but they're also um, some of them are actually um, prophets as well. Not, not so much prophets, but um, it the word is evading me. It's slipping off my lips at the moment. I can't actually think of it. Uh, it was philosophers. Yeah. Um, when you think of people like Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee was an absolute incredible advocate for martial arts, but he was also a philosophy major and philosophized many times on the aspect of life and what martial arts did for him and the beauty of life that um, flowed with within him from knowing that experience and being able to impart that onto other people. I yeah. mean, you know, Talk about an elegant way of portraying um, what violence actually does sometimes. Now, what I'm an advocate for, and we, you know, we're sort of getting on and slipping into the topic of working dogs. I really am the advocate of a place being available for working dogs because I think that when we do this right, and this was always the mindset of people who were introducing working dogs in the very early times, when you think of a sport, uh, like Schutzen, which has now migrated from sh- being called Schutzen to IPO to now being known as IGP, which is a dog sport which uh, combines three elements. One is a protection element, one is a companionship slash obedience element, and one is a tracking slash olfaction element where the dog has to follow a track. The reason that that these sports were all brought about um, well, let's talk Schutzen. Uh, the reason that was actually brought about was that the clubs back then were trying to devise a way to stabilize and enhance the ability of these dogs in society, to be able to get good control, to not breed sharpness into the dogs, to not have fear and not have an inadequate uh, working style of breed like the Shepherds and the Rottweilers, mainly the Shepherds back then. And that was their um, modus operandi when they were thinking about introducing that type of dog. And I think that was actually ingenious and commendable that groups of men and women got together and devised this and thought there are problems with our breeding practices. There are problems with what's been produced. There are problems with the dogs going out into a working role. This is where the working dogs came from because, you know, they're, they're guardian breeds they're used to guard livestock. They're used to guard territories. They're used as working police dogs. They're used as community dogs for law enforcement of any shape or form. Yet some of these dogs were just totally inept to be able to do that work. They just had no form, no substance, no ability to do it. And that's where, and it generalized in Germany at the time, but that's where they got together and thought, we really need to do something here 
um, to put an end to this, to produce a standard. And workplaces do that a lot with their policies and procedures. When they're talking about producing a standard, what they're doing is saying, there is a problem in our workplace here. We're not seeing what we should see. There are too many factions. There are too many ideas. There are too many uh, processes that are going wrong. We need to standardize what we're doing. And fundamentally, that's where these working sports came from. So they were devised mainly for professions, but then became sports. So they migrated into sports. And you see variations of these sports all around the world, like your ring sports, your French, Belgian rings, Mondio, uh, and getting into, well, um, IGP, which is its roots are back in Schutzen, and then also into things that uh, Pat and I are getting involved in now, which is PSA, which is Jerry Bradshaw's um, interpretation of a dog sport. Um, And what he was trying to introduce was a dog sport that didn't have some of the limitations that other dog sports were introducing. So a lot of them are fun. Uh, A lot of them are uh, really interesting to watch. I mean, they're all interesting to watch. And when you watch them, the high stakes, the high level people doing them, I mean, you're talking about Viking dogs with incredible control and a partnership with a human being. And it's like the two of them have telepathy with each other because they're just on the same wavelength. The dog is um, the dog is crafted in a way that it has become an exceptional tool um, in itself to be able to carry out uh, these works with very, very minimal instruction from the handler. It wasn't always like that. You know, like it, all, it, it starts off like everything. All of these dog sports, any any activity that people are doing with their dogs, whether it be fly ball, whether it be agility, whether it be um, some of these biting sports that we're talking about now, they all start off clumsy. They all start off where they have to be shaped through a progress of multiples of behaviors, shaping, chaining, introducing cues, working through continuous and intermittent schedules of reinforcement. I mean, all the things that we learned about in the NDTF, it's it's all the same, dissipated differently to enhance the type of understanding and the quality of the dog that needs to be able to compete in that sport. Now, getting back to what we need to talk about with the dogs, when we're starting to talk about some of these working dog roles, working dogs and and sporting dogs, um, when you listen to Pat and I speaking about it and many of the other people who are involved in these conversations, if we're trying to introduce strong, well-formed, robust, capable dogs, you need these sports. You need to have these activities available for dogs because it's an expression where you can see what the dog can produce. You can see what the dog is capable of doing, but you can very, very, very clearly with some of these sports, not all of them, but with some of these sports, you can very clearly see that the, the, um, that the dog has a characteristic which should be produced in offspring. Some of these sports will show the dog up. Some of these sports will show that the dog doesn't have the characteristics or the traits that are desirable to pass on to generations of dogs. And if we're being honest with each other and we're talking about producing the best of, these sports will expose the type of of, uh, sire and dam, the mother and father, that should be producing offspring as opposed to animals that should not be. Mm -hmm. You can see 
um, not only that the dog has a robust innate nature, but also has the physiological form to be able to extend into, uh, as Darwinism would call it, survival of the fittest. You can see that these dogs are fit. You can see that these dogs are robust. You can see that they're muscular and skeletally strong. Uh, you can see that they um, they clearly uh, have a uh, high tolerance. They've clearly got an extension of brilliant nerves through their body because they're socially uh, adapted at everything they actually do. So if we're considering the ultimate form of dog, there's no better test really. And the, the, I've had to think about this and probably flip-flop my, my thoughts on this over time. And it's through having good conversations with other people and listening to them talking about it where I've kind of realized that's absolutely right. It's 100% right. This is why these these sports need to be made available and it's the best thing for these dogs. It's a great outlet for them. Yeah. And it's the great outlet for these type of people as well. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my um, my belief on working dog sports. How did you first get into um, the sports, Glenn? The very first person that ever introduced me to it was one of my uh, early mentors that I've talked about before, a guy called Alec Jones. Uh, and he was involved in Schutzen. He was from the UK, and uh, he was one of um, he was one of my mentor, my original mentor, Boyd. He was one of his mentors in martial arts, and he just happened to come to club one night, and he was sort of sitting there, and he was sitting on a bench. And Alec is a very unassuming sort of bloke. He looks like a little bit like Clark Kent. He sits there, got a very meek smile on his face. He's got glasses on. He's a very tall guy, like he's about six foot three or something like that. But he just, he's just, he's got a very kind look to him, but he's an incredibly strong, um, and he, he'd be an old guy now, you know, like he'd be in his mid seventies or something like that. But um, I think, but um, he, and, and I've kept in contact with him, which is great, but he was, uh, yeah, he was a really unassuming sort of person, but a real, a real warrior with a real warrior's heart. The sort of person that you would be remiss to get into mischief with and then find out that you've really fucked up because you've, you've picked a fight with the wrong type of person. Um, he is exactly that type of person. But nonetheless, a very kind man and a man that, that uh, you would be, you would find it very difficult to push that out of him and a huge mistake if you did. But he took me under his wing. He came down one night and he was sitting on the bench. I remember this distinctly because I was training dogs and in my own mind at that time, I was a god amongst mortals. Um, I was going through my own little ego patch and it was Alec who uh, grabbed me one day. He was I, he he pulled me over and he said, hey, man, um, I, I'm Alec and, uh, you know, I've, I've known Boyd for a number of years and then him, him and Boyd got into a chat and Boyd confirmed that this is all true, that he's been involved with him in, in one way or another. And uh, Alec had a German Shepherd down there and he was doing a little bit of work uh, with his dog. And he said, oh, have you um, have you ever been involved in the dog sports before? And I said, like Schutzen? He said, yeah, like Schutzen. And I said, oh, no, it's only in Europe, isn't it? And he said, no, there are clubs here. Um, would you like to come and look at one? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So uh, he gave me a time and a date and said, you know, be at this place at this time and, and come down and watch. And I turned up late and didn't even think anything of it. And Alec found that very disrespectful. You know, like he gave me a time to meet him in a place and I turned up like 45 minutes late. And uh, I said, oh, you know, um, hey, mate, I'm here. And 
I didn't get the same sort of warm reception that I, I was thinking I was. He said, you know, like, oh, nice of you to um, turn up on time. And I said, oh, well, you know, look, I had a few things to do. And he said, yeah, we had an agreement. And I said, yep. And he said, okay, well, uh, so the part of the what I wanted to show you was over. Uh, so you might as well go home and come back next week. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And I thought, well, that's a bit odd. And I said, well, can't I watch the rest of it? And he said, well, it's kind of a story that I'm trying to tell you and you've missed the first couple of chapters. So I haven't actually told anyone this before because it was a little embarrassing for me, to be honest. Um, but I, I, he sort of you know, kicked me out. He just said, no, come back next week. So I thought, well, that was odd. And I was a bit pissed off. And I thought, well, fuck that guy. I'm not coming back next week. You know, that's the way he's going to carry on. But I was at training on Thursday night and he was there again. And, um, you know, same sort of thing. He was smiling, come up and shook my hand like nothing had happened. And he just said, so are you coming down on the weekend? I said, oh, I don't. And he goes, hey, mate, do you actually want to grow as a dog trainer or not? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I thought you were really interested in learning how to be a great dog trainer. And he goes, it doesn't sound like it to me. Well. And I'm thinking, Ooh. <laughs> And he wasn't saying it in a in a way that you would think this is confronting and challenging. You know, like he had a big smile on his face and he was saying it with some warmth and some humor in it. And I said, you know what? Okay, I will. I'll be down there. And he goes, okay, well, when I tell you this is the time, this is the time and this is the place. So I came down there and I turned up five minutes early and I, I saw a different side of him. He was really excited to have me there. And he went around and introduced me to everybody. And... I was watching them do the work and, and doing all the training and we were watching the tracking and so forth. And he said to me, do you know how to do tracking? I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And he goes, oh, so you've done footstep tracking before you've done all this. I said, yep, I've done it. And he goes, so, um, well, uh, I guess there's nothing that I can really ask you. And I had no idea. I just didn't want to say that I didn't know. I was going through that, this, this stupid, I was young. I was just going through this stupid ego stage. And um, he did, he I have talked about this before because it was fucked up, but he, he said to me, um, he didn't say to me, he called the club over and he said to the club, Hey guys, um, this is Glenn Cook. I introduced him before. He's an expert in tracking and he's going to teach us how to track. And I could, you know, when you can feel like the blood running out of your head and your torso and it feels like it's just pulling your feet. Well, that happened right there. And right then he exposed me as a fraud. Yeah. Wow. It, was a, it was a terrible experience and I was so furious with him. Um, I, I, I tried to talk my way out of it and just realized that, you know, like I just jammed one foot deep into my mouth and literally made enough space to jam another one in there. So I just walked away from everyone. I got in my car and I just took off. And <laughs> he was down at the club the next <laughs> Thursday and um, he was trying to talk to me and I just avoided him like the plague. I was so angry with him. Um, and then he came around to my house and he knocked on my door and, you know, my wife came and answered the door and she said, she knew who he was. She said, hi, Alec, how are you? And he said, oh, it's going home. And she said, yeah, he is, but I don't think, yeah, he's pretty much, he's hiding. And, um, he, he yelled out and he said, stop being a sook and come and he said, come and talk to me at the door. So, um, I did. And I, I gave him a frosty reception. I said, what do you want? And he, he said, mate, there's a few lessons that you have to learn in life. And you have to learn, um, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. And don't take credit for things that you have no authority in or no experience in. 
And he goes, I'm just going to leave it at that and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it next week. And he goes, so I'll see you at the club <laughs> at this time. And um, I thought, there's no way I'm going to go down. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be insulted like that. And really, I just didn't want to be, I didn't want to confront those people. So I didn't turn up that one. But he came back down to the ADT on one of the Thursday nights. And he said, I thought you were going to come to the club. And I said, look, Alec, I don't know what game you're playing, mate, but I don't want to be a part of it. You know, like I just, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be involved in this sort of nonsense. And he said, Glenn, I'm trying to help you grow. He said, you're a big goldfish in a very, very little pond. And he said, the world is much bigger than what you know it to be. And he said, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to give you the experience. And he said, I'm only going to try one more time. And he goes, and then I'm going to I'm, I'm going to wash my hands and walk away. And that's it. And he goes, but don't come to me for advice or help after that because I'm not going to be there for you. And he said, if you don't take my hand through this now, then that's the end of it. He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And he was very serious about that. And I realized right there and then that he was trying to do something friendly for me that not many people had done. A lot of people had placated me at that stage Mm. or they had shunned me. Um, And it was just, I was used to people walking out of my life and just being assholes. That's, you know, I've had a history of that sort of stuff from being a little kid. And I didn't realize that he was, I didn't realize at the time that he was probably one of the best pillars that I needed in my life at that point in time. And I, I, I took him up on his offer. I went down there and I decided to succumb to being a student of what they were doing rather than pretend that I knew it all. And I had the best time. I met people who took me in. I met people who treated me like family. And I also met people who um, started to give me an opportunity to shine in a different direction and another place where I wasn't really adept at, at doing so well. But I became better and into the point where they wanted me to be assistant training director. You know, I ended up becoming vice president of the club. I think at one stage I even became training director. Um, I then started to get introduced to other people from different clubs. Then I was involved in another club, Melbourne Schutzen, as well as Select Schutzen. So I became a helper at both clubs. So I did the I did the the training course with um John McDonald at the time he was the president of the organization so you had to go and do like an apprenticeship and then pass it and become a licensed helper um, where you have to go and work the dogs you have to do a theory test and so forth and I liked it I enjoyed it I excelled at it I you know um, some of those people weren't my biggest fans right then but um, I exceeded and I, I I got to a good position with them but it pushed me and it taught me a lot it taught me how to realize that I was the sum of a lot of parts, not just me. And I was used to sort of fighting for myself and I and and squabbling for for what I got. But then I realized this is a community sport and it takes the community to be able to do it well. And I realized that when I let go and I stopped having my ego ruin everything for me, when I really allowed myself to be vulnerable and um a part of something that I never really experienced to the fullness of it before, I became part of an effective community and realized that it takes a village to train these dogs, not just one person. You rely on so many people to be able to get these dogs up and to be able to, 
you know, have the endurance to go through the tracking, go through the obedience, go through the bite work. There's a lot of people that need to be involved in, in, in doing that. So there's one person standing on the podium representing the village that they came from. And that's a miraculous thing. That's a marvelous thing. The great thing is as well, we just got to have our first ever Australian PSA tournament or competition here uh, a couple of weekends ago, which I judged. Um, it was uh, held by our club, the the uh, Iron Fist PSA, which Pat, myself, and another guy called Neville Bennett originally started. Um, it's the three logos of our dogs. There's Remy, Randy, and uh, what's Neville's dog's name again? Oh, he'll, he'll kill if he's listening to this. He'll kill me for getting. Um, it'll come to me. Um, I remember his father's name, Bullet, but I can't remember. Um, oh God, it's terrible. But the three he of will certainly dogs. will kill you. Sorry, he certainly will kill you. Yes, he'll kill me. Um, he'll 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 probably ring me and say you're great, big bullhead. Actually, <laughs> Neville's one of the best. He's one of the best guys I've ever met in my life. He's, he's he, a good man. He is a he is more than a good man. He is a one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I've forgotten his dog's name because <laughs> it's true. But, um, yeah, we had this all Australian trial. I judged, um, you know, there was, uh, there was some miraculous people involved in it and everybody came together to do their job. And again, it's the sum of all parts, you know, everybody came in and the volunteers from the club and, uh, there were people from NDTF who came down to help, who came to pick up and sweep up and set up and, run around and make people feel comfortable and welcome. Um, we had people bringing marquees down and setting them up. I think it was probably one of the biggest dog sport turnouts for, for onlookers um, that we've ever had. We had something like 60, 50, 60 people turn up. It was just awesome. fantastic. Um, and, yeah, it was a great environment. I, I mean, I was nervous because it was my first judging appointment. I didn't want to screw anything up, so I barely said anything to anyone. I was just going over in my head all all the things i had to do and remembering what no pressure or yeah no pressure one of the, one of the people that truly impressed me on the day was um uh one of the young ladies that we had there who's a member of our club um and she has not been uh, a steward ever and she inherited the job within a week and a half just because we were running so low of decoys because we had a few decoys that pulled out. And PSA is a very, very heavy decoy. Um, a decoy is somebody who either wears the sleeve or wears the suit for the biting dog sports. And because we were um, running short of decoys, this lady who's, whose name is actually Carnelian, uh, she stepped in to become a steward. And I'm telling you what, for somebody who inherited that job in such a small space of time, she absolutely smashed it. I could not oh. believe what an amazing job she did, but it just goes to show, you know, when you talk about the strength of character within people and, and dogs, talk about strength of character, like she owned it. She, she spent time in the mornings going over it with Pat, um, running through the routine. Um, her and I were literally on the phone or on Zoom as regular as we possibly could between judge and steward. So we could talk about what we needed to do because our um, relationship on the field was one that had to be very close. She was advising all of the competitors on what they needed to do. And I had to judge every movement they were making. Um, and it was it was great, guys. It was 
it, it went off without a hitch. It was absolutely fantastic. The competitors were full of heart. They did an absolutely amazing job. There were a lot of PDCs given out and Dom and his dog, uh, Kane, Dom who, who trains at Iron Fist, he pulled off a brilliant uh, and a very memorable PSA one. He's as a team that Dom's one of these incredible Dom's one of these incredible people who he doesn't brag, he doesn't seek the limelight, he doesn't jump around on social media, um, you know, trying to bring attention to himself. He literally does nothing. He just walked onto the field and he owned the field for the day. He won literally everything outright. Wow. Um, he couldn't take any other trophies because there were no more trophies to be given. <laughs> Uh, and it was I'm I'm so proud of him because, like I said, there are a lot of people who squeak. You know, they make so much noise, um, and they they it's all about them, them, them. Dom's not like that at all. He he hardly says a word. In fact, you would have to look around the room sometimes. I mean, he's a big guy, but you'd have to look around the room sometimes to even know he's there because he sits still and he sits silently and he just goes out and does his job. And I, I can't think of a better person. I just love the guy. I think he is an incredible ambassador for a dog sport because he does it for all the right reasons. He loves his dogs. He treats his dogs very well. Um, he works hard. He works very hard. Uh, he does what he's asked to do. He doesn't get angry when things don't go his way. He just thinks about them and he comes back and you can see that he's been working on it during the week. Amazing job. Um, so That's proud. That's awesome. Yeah, there's three things that I wanted to say. Sure. Number one, congrats on on judging the PSA. It looked like an awesome turnout, and the videos that I watched made me have some awesome FOMO. And maybe the next time that you guys do it, I'm going to definitely make my way down to um to watch and to support in any way that I can. Mm. Um, second thing, I've listened to like every one of your episodes of your podcast, and hearing the story of what you just shared with us with Alec Jones and all of that was um really, really cool to hear so many different things that, that I found inspiring about all that and something, something new to, to learn about you, which was awesome. Um, and the third thing I wanted to say is I don't, I've never been involved in sport dog training. I've witnessed many different seminars and I learn a lot about it and, and a lot of the extra, extra um, education that I get, you know, whether it's online or whatever, is revolved around dog sports how what i learned personally especially from like seminars and watching people work dogs is how is it that we're watching something on an elite level how can it be disseminated through you know theory and the experience and education that i've got how could i then get bits and pieces from it and then put it into what i teach and how can i teach because there's certain dogs that have like no drive that is anything reflective of a dog that would that would participate in any activity like a like a sport dog sort of um, situation. However, there are certain dogs that need to be fulfilled with that drive to be operating within a household that they live in. And also, another thing that that I've learned is, and I had this like realization a while ago, was to turn on the drive. You have to realize where the drive gets turned on so then we can then harness it because in a lot of applications in in my day-to-day job is to either fulfill that drive somewhere or at least limit that drive in a certain way, depending on the dog and human relationship. And I really think that it's important that the sport dog training continues and flourishes. And I hope, I hope that for me, I get more involved in it in, in the future because I think 
that I would benefit tremendously from it. I think just to support the fact that sport dog industry in itself has to continue and 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 um, move forward because it's the breeding ground for good dogs, good trainers, and also up-to-date knowledge of training and application of training. Because if I just go off in my own world, not listen to anybody else and their own experiences, I'm just going to be doing the same thing over and over again. But I know that each year that I keep training and, and teaching, I'm developing and learning more. And I think without having access to that top tier of training, then I think pet dog trainers are going to miss out. And then inherently, of course, dog owners and their dogs are going to miss out as well. So I think it's a really important thing that um that, that that's going on there. Would you agree? Oh, look, absolutely, mate. When we start talking about the suitability of dogs into dog sports, you, let's let's cross over to children just for two seconds. There's a show on Netflix at the moment called Wednesday, and it's Wednesday Adams from the original Adams family who's gone on for generations. Now, when you listen to Wednesday talking about her interactions in life, she likes everything, which is the opposite of what other people like. And there are dogs that exist in society who are exactly like that. There are some dogs who would thrive and absolutely excel in things like dog sports. And there are other dogs which that would be the worst day of their life to yeah. involve anything close to that. There are children who, you know, their favorite pastime is reading a book in solitude or playing a game of chess or, you know, vegging out online and doing something like playing World of Warcraft or something like that. And there are other kids who are little Vikings who love going out and playing rugby and, you know, and, and netball and all these sort of things, boys and girls, you know, like they both have this extreme drive in them where they've got ants in their pants. They can't sit still. They need to be doing something active and physical all the time. So there exists always um, both ends of the spectrum and anything in between. And working dogs and pet dogs are exactly the same. They fit in those same genres and types of categories that you would expect to see in human children. So again, same, same, but different. The thing about the working dog application is a lot of things that are done on the field, get you get to test the extremes of some of these behaviors. Mm. And then you get to understand, well, these could be applied down the track. And I remember Pat and I were talking to Dave Croyer when we were doing an interview with Dave. And Dave's an exceptional trainer and he has been a competitor in Schutzen IGP, IG, IP, Schutzen IPO IGP, which is all the same thing, but it's modified and varied since the, the dawn of time. But we were talking about there was a movie called The Devil Wears Prada with Meryl Streep and, and Hathaway. And they're all in this room talking about uh, a these colors and Anne Hathaway plays her character and Meryl Streep plays this extreme um, boss. <laughs> she's just, she's just inflammatory and toxic and just crazed with power, but it's, it's a great show. And if, if you haven't seen it, you should, have you seen it? Have you watched the different? I haven't show? watched it. No. Yeah, it's a great show. It's really good. And um, she's laughing about this color that they talk about and Meryl Streep's, she's this very serious mega boss. And she whips her head around and she's got her pursed lips and her steely glaze. And she looks at her and goes, what are you finding so amusing? And she goes, well, they're all just the same. And she, she schools her on how the, you know, some of the um, 
the industry creators have created this colour and this fabric and this textile that has uh, extended throughout the fashion world and then worked its way all down to the consumer lines right into the very basic um, bins in, in, you know, like in the, in the $2 stores and so forth. And she, she has such an elegant way of putting it. I have no, I'm, I'm giving it no justice by talking to it, but even if I show you that clip one day, you'll look at it and go, I see exactly what you mean. My reference to that is the same thing happens in a lot of these sports where be it working dog sports, um, even nose works, which is a working dog sport for, mm-hmm. um, for, for teaching dogs to, to detect. Um, these things have a way of filtering down into the general public. We learn a lot about the extreme measures of training. We learn a lot about shaping and chaining um, to higher levels. We learn a lot about impulse control. We learn about a lot about capping and or even building drives. And that extends down into the consumer level, the pet dog level, where we can see and understand better ways to help people have better relationships for the, with their dogs. There are things that dogs need to do um, or, or, or want to do, and there are also things that dogs need to do. And this is what keeps dogs in homes. So we have to actually know how to tap into some of these motivations and drives with dogs sometimes. And we even have to understand how to formulate better courses of language um, And through these extreme understandings, we can disseminate it down through the lines to be able to modify it from a a working dog market to a pet dog market. Um, And again, that was something that I probably struggled with at one time because I didn't really see the correlation to that until it was spelled out to me, until other people had spoken to me or or had a, a, a seat in a conversation where I could hear people talking about it. And I thought, you know what? You're actually right. Um, which was confirmation again when I refer to that movie, the Meryl Streep and, and Hathaway movie, The Devil Wears Prada, when she really schools her in you, you have this contempt for something that we feel is very, very important, mm. but it has an origin that extends from the very top all the way to the very bottom and does so every year. Like what you mock here will have a, uh, a correlating effect all the way down the line. And I found this, that the same thing has happened a lot in dog training. There are so many similarities, but um, it's just it, another way that it was described to me. I think it was Boyd that, that told me one time was the difference between Michael Shoemaker, who at the time was one of the um, Grand Prix champions a long time ago, but Michael Shoemaker was a legend in Grand Prix. And I remember him saying to me, the one thing that sets Michael Shoemaker apart from a lot of his competitors is very small things. Mm. And it's the same thing when you think about the dissemination of language and um, pragmatic capability all the way from working dog sports to pet dog capability. Sometimes it's just very small things done differently for that application. So sometimes people look at it and say, oh my God, it's extremes, it's extremes. But it's not really, it's a lot of progress and shaping um, with capable dogs that want to do that sport versus dogs that don't want to do that sport, who just want to be sit on your lap and um, run around and roll in horse poo and all <laughs> those sort of things, you know. Um, but, the, but like I said before, 
our dogs want to do certain things, but they need to do certain things. You know, and I, I guess that is, is kind of like the pre-Mac way of thinking of it is mm. needs versus wants, um, which which all dogs need to go through. And in order to live a successful home life, again, I know I've, this, this has been something I've been repetitive on, but it's something that I really need to get into people's hearts and minds is in order for these dogs to survive comfortably in homes, and we're not just talking about somebody might be listening to this and thinking, well, I, I certainly wouldn't be thinking that with my dog. But there are lots of people who are. The reason that both of you have dog training companies which are successful, which you're, you know, you've, you've constantly got people at, is because people are questioning the relationship with their dog, and they know that things are not the way they should be, and they'd like them to improve. They'd like the, to give the dog the benefit of the doubt, or a second, or third, or fourth chance to get this right mm-hmm. before they consider extreme solutions to. Um, a problem that they're having. Now, the reason I know about that is because that's what I've been doing um, predominantly for 30 years. I've either been doing it myself or I've been coaching other people to do it. And the later part of my life is I've been training trainers on how to do those type of things to improve relationship and to listen to the dog the way it needs to be listened to and also to respond to the dog the way it needs to be responded to. Bro. Well said. You're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, my brother. I think I can waffle quite a lot. Bro, we can do this. I feel like for- I feel like we went quite full circle with all of that. Yeah. Man, there is obviously so much more um to discuss, but um Poor Luke, he had hardly anything to, to contribute in that. He just sat there and blinked his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I was just in awe. I was just sitting here enjoying the show. No, he's probably thinking that he's listening to the canine paradigm. There was a couple of moments that I'm like, I'm listening in. Oh, hold on a sec. We're, we're doing the interview here. <laughs> well, I apologize <laughs> if I hijacked the show. I, no, what do you mean? I got a little ranty at the start. I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling a little bit of pain over that. And I'm, I'm worrying, you know, I think some people are celebrating, but I don't, I don't think they understand what they're celebrating. I think no, they have no idea. No, I think it's important that we um, we discuss it. It's also important that we discuss all the other fascinating things about dog training. You can see the passion, you can see the knowledge and experience, and 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 the wisdom in from from your perspective of of the training system. We're not just talking about you know yanking and cranking dogs and in, into submission. No, it's, not at it's all. Very very not technical, and it's very nuanced in the way that that we use pressure. You know, like um. It's just it, it it goes deep, but um no, you're supposed to talk the whole entire time because I'm sure our listeners are sick and tired of me and Luke talking about God knows what. Um, but I think we all do a, a decent job at at um at representing what we can, and you know, and and I know for us, as I was saying, you know, I've I've listened to a, a lot of what you've had to say, but I've learned some new things about you today as well, which I'm very excited about. Um, not just to share. The, the message and, and the wisdom that you can provide, but also I got something out of today as well, which I knew I would anyway, but um, really, really appreciate it, my bro. Thank you, mate. Do you know the funny thing is we had our staff Christmas party the other night and um, the company is growing, um, which is is great. We've, we've got a few more kennels that are part of the Pet Resorts family now. We're extensively awesome. to Queensland at this point in time. I was only up at our Townsville branch the other day doing a um, a matching and um, behavior uh, what, what training session with our staff so they could understand making sure that they're making good decisions in matching dogs when they're sharing kennels and so forth. And 
Well, I was at the Christmas party. A couple of my staff came up to me and said, hey, I just want to let you know, I've been listening to your podcast and, you know, I have learned things about you that I had no idea about. Like it even makes me look at you in a different light, which was a really nice thing because, you know, when you're the boss, sometimes the the staff can look at you like you're a, a, a bit of a villain or that you're a scary person. Not that you want to be either. You don't want to be a villain and you don't want to be a scary person but they kind of look at you in, in that light. And it, it was really nice to have conversations with them because they wanted to expand on what they learned. And so, you know, I, I, one of the staff I was sitting with having a, uh, I was drinking a wine and she was having a beer and we were chatting about all things dog related because she was really excited that I had this extensive knowledge. And she goes, you know, I don't think the staff, she goes, I know that you're really smart, but I don't think many of the staff know that you have this much knowledge because they don't see it. They see Mm -hmm. sort of like problem solving things at work, not really getting to pick your your brain about dog training. And I said, yeah, that's, I understand that. And um, I think the, the, the emergence of what's going to happen in my role um, coming forward, I will probably be leaning more back into the dog training application um, and, and certainly into the, the, train the trainer application, which is sort of my bag. It's, it's what I do. Yeah. Um, so that was exciting. I like that. And, and I appreciate your words too, Panos and Luke. I, you know, like I always improve, uh, I appreciate speaking to you guys. I like listening to your episodes. Uh, I think you put out um, content that's relatable to me. I, I can listen to it and not turn it off halfway through because it's just not going anywhere and it, it, it's just going down a rabbit hole. Uh, the conversations that you have are cerebral. You know, like you you try and talk about things that are, are, are relevant. You listen to your public, um, and that's nice. I think that in order to have a successful show of any type, whether you're radio, TV, podcasting, whatever, is don't ever lose sight of who you're talking to out there. You know, yeah. the, the the people um, that that we're talking to, that we're having these conversations with, they're very important to us, and and they and they have to be. Uh, if we lose sight of that ever then we're doing it for all the wrong reasons. And, yeah. um, and and I've been very fortunate to be stopped in the street or spoken to people or, you know, I, I had one lady send me a message and she was extremely nervous to send me a message because she said, I, I, I just don't want you to think that I'm a psycho because I, I wanted to say hi and to say, I really appreciate you. And I said, I don't think you're a, a psycho <laughs> at all. And um, I was really touched to get this message and thank you very much for making the time. And uh, it was then we had a, a little bit further conversation, which was nice. I like doing that. You know, yeah. I don't want people to think that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not exceptional. I'm just part of the community. You know, yeah. we, the, we're we're teachers and we're educators, and we've got messages to tell people, and we're trying to do it f- uh, for the benefit of improving life with your dog. So yes. there you go. <laughs> oh, the best. Yep. <laughs> All right, my bro. Thanks again, mate. We really appreciate it. Really appreciate the time you gave us today. I appreciate you asking me to do the episode. That's that's very kind. We love you, brother. Yeah, love a good one. Thanks, boys. You you mentioned Glenn. You mentioned you got you you mentioned you got a few a few podcasts now, Glenn. How many how many have you got now on the on the go? Well, I the main one is the Canine Paradigm. That's the big one. Um, I do one for work called the Podcast for Pet Carers. Uh, where I just had a council yep. ranger on and I'm, that episode is just coming out. So that'll be interesting for people who want to know how to avoid um, getting in a strife with council. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also do the occasional one with Narelle, which is nat- natural health for people and pets. So she talks a lot about um, the natural way that we can treat pets and a lot of the considerations that we should have uh, in treating pets. So, yeah, I've got the three of them on the go. That's awesome. We're getting Narelle back on, actually. Yeah, she's um, she, mate, she has been absolutely under the pump since she started that little nutrition business, Canine Suticals, which I'm going to give a plug for. 100%. But, um, she has been um, – I, I had to be away. I was up in Port Macquarie and Coffs Harbour when she had the Black Friday sale, and we, we weren't thinking that it was going to be too um, outrageous, but she ended up um, absolutely under the pump. I came home and her hands were swollen. Her fingers were all red because she'd literally been packing for – 12 hours a day she had she had that many sales wow outrageous but it was so great. happy so and, happy for her and, and she was too she was she was she was um even though she was stressed and under the pump and and tired she was overwhelmed with gratitude for how many people supporting her product and how many people just jumped on and um, i mean she got absolutely pummeled um so anybody that's on your show that uses her products i just want to thank you for um for having faith in it but also um, the testimonials have been fantastic. People have been responding in droves and coming back and saying, um, "Not, not, not." It's not just smoke up a bum. It's that it's working, and that's what she wants to know: is that it is working, and their dogs' lives are improved um, when there was very little hope and things were bleak and they were on, you know, like enormous amounts of painkillers or steroids or things like that. And Narelle has made a massive difference to their dogs' lives. That's that it. You know, selling stuff. That's nice. Making a bit of money, that's nice. But also having faith in a product that you it's kind of like a baby that you've you've started from concept to, to go and knowing that there is true meaning to it, not just a, you know, like, oh, I'll get this to support you, but hmm. it is working, it is enhancing yeah. my dog's life. That's the amazing thing for both of us. Um, because there's nothing worse than being a fraud and putting something out there that's just dog shit. Um, and doesn't work for anybody and making money off it and 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 not really supporting your community at all, then those sort of things are terrible. They're, they're terrible type of people who do things like that. But um, Narelle wouldn't do anything less than her best. Um, and she's constantly revising, constantly tweaking to make sure she's listening to the vets that are supporting her product because vets are listening to her products now and also the multitudes of people that um, wow. have given her feedback or asked for, you know, considerations in bigger sizes or whatever makes them happy or feel better about the product. She's trying to work with them to do it. She really listens to a community. So I'm a very proud husband, but I, I know that Narelle does nothing but um, exceptional when she puts her mind to it. No, Narelle's the best. Look, I, no shameless plugs here. I, I totally um, support um, what she's doing. Actually, in fact, it just reminded me that I need to renew um, the, what's it called? The PEA? PA or PTA? Yeah, I need to get that more, some more for spades. So um, I'm going to do that this week, actually. Yeah, um, Pat's got Remy on it and it's made a big difference to him. So. It was making a massive difference for spades because he's getting old now, you know, 12 years old. So um, yeah, Randy's on it as well. He's He he gets P because he's nine years old and because he's been a working dog and jumping around a lot during his mm-hmm. life, um, doing those big um, jumps to heel. Uh, his hips are just getting a little bit creaky, so yeah. I'm on uh, on on P and Opie's on P, so um, he's 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 a bit creaky in the back end as well. So all our dogs are getting well, not apart from Mando, who's just a baby, but our dogs are getting older. 
They just say, oh, they get old, don't they? They do. God damn it. Mm-hmm. All right. We don't want to say bye, but we have to say bye. I know. It's, uh, it's, it's, we've nearly been doing this for two hours. I know. Well, I keep saying bye, and we're like, actually, in fact, let's talk more. <laughs> but we'll actually say bye, and Luke's we'll do this again in the soon. background thinking, you, you've just monopolized this. The two of you have just been having conversation. Up <laughs> staring at you and, and breathing into a microphone. <laughs> we love you, brother. Being an audience one. member to a live podcast is great. Yeah, That's it. <laughs> yeah, I love you guys too, and I'm, I'm really proud of the job you're doing. Keep up the good work. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at np underscore dog underscore training, my website npdogtraining.com or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening, guys. My name's Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, dot com, dot A-U. I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna Canine Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.